Hello, South Point. As we begin our series through the book of Acts, we want to read about one chapter each week. So today we'll begin by reading Acts chapter 1. So this is the word of God. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After, the, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered him around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they, were upstairs to the, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let no one dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbath, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two have been chosen to take over this apostle apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to South Point. Good to have you. If you're a guest with us today, welcome to those of you watching online. We actually get to be speaking to our three campuses today at Huron and Allen Park as well. So good to have you guys uh, with us as well. And listen, if you're... I'm not sure what that's for, but that's always good to start that way. I like that. That's great. Uh, well, li listen, it, if you're somebody who has always wondered why we have such a thing as Christianity, how it got started, why is there a church, and with all the different kinds of churches around, 
Uh, how is it supposed to be? You came at a really good time because we're going to be exploring that over the next nine weeks as we begin this journey through the book of Acts. So if you've got questions, confusion, doubts, downright skepticism, you're in the right place. And, then, and of course, it all begins with Jesus. And if you're familiar at all with your New Testament, then it begins with these first four books about the life of Jesus. These are called the Gospels. But then after Jesus returns to heaven, the next book, the book of Acts, picks up where that, that the Gospels leave off and tell about the early church and what the first Christians did and what they believed. And so it's really kind of a history book of the New Testament. I love it. I love the book of Acts because Christianity really is history. It's not philosophy. It's about real people and real places. And yet our faith isn't about traveling to sacred places or about revering a bunch of saints. It's about one person. It's about Jesus Christ himself and about uh, what it means to follow him for all of us. We're a part of this story. I mean, this this is the story isn't finished. We're a part of the book of Acts. It's ongoing today because we're a part of that same church. So for us, this isn't just like studying the, the past. This is the paradigm for the present. This is the blueprint for the future. And it's traditionally called the Acts of the Apostles because it's a, supposed to be about the actions of those first apostles. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. A disciple is a learner, a follower, right? But when he sends them out, they become apostles because that's what the word apostle means, somebody who is sent out. But it's more than just the human action of those apostles. It's really about this one person who appears throughout the whole book of Acts, the one person who holds the whole story together. It's about Jesus. And it's really about him working through the, the apostles by his spirit. And so really, we might call this not the acts of the apostle, but the acts of Jesus and the spirit. See, because Christians, we believe in what's called the Trinity. We believe that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, the Son, sent God the Spirit to carry out his work. Because when he was on earth, Jesus was in this physical body. He did his, his ministry through that body. But after he left, it was a spirit who carried on his work through his spiritual body, which is called the church. And the church that we're a part of today is empowered by the same spirit that empowered Jesus. So check this out. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. All right, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next eight weeks. We're going to, we're, these, this week and the next eight weeks, we're going to go through those first chapters of Acts. That's going to take us up to Easter. And really, these first few chapters, 
only cover the first five years of the church that tells us what they did and what they believed. And it tells us about the incredible launch of the church and how the, the Jesus movement spread and they witness all these miracles and the gospels proclaimed and the first baptisms take place and they stand up to the first persecutions and bury the first martyrs. So we're going to see a lot of firsts going on here. Now it's after chapter eight that the action changes, shifts to Paul, the apostle. He's the missionary who goes on all those journeys. And who does he take with him? He takes with him Luke. Dr. Luke was his friend. And how many were here a couple years ago when we went through the entire book of Luke? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a lot of you. Uh, you remember Luke was not one of the original 12 apostles. He, um, he was more like a historian. He interviewed the eyewitnesses and wrote it all down for some unknown Christian named Theophilus. And so it's the same Luke right now who's writing the book of Acts. And in the first part of Acts, again, he's not there to witness everything firsthand, but he interviews all the witnesses. Now that changes halfway through the book. He starts switching to the pronoun we. We did this and we saw that because he is now part of the action himself because he's traveling around with Paul. So what he, he's saying here is, look, I, I wrote my first volume, Luke, uh, about the things Jesus began to do and teach. And now in my sequel, volume two, book of Acts, I'm writing about the things Jesus continued to do and teach through his spirit, through the apostles, all right? And so Acts is really a very crucial book for us to see what those first Christians believed and what they did because they were directly led by the apostles. These guys were the inspired, authoritative, direct representatives of Jesus Christ. And so when, uh, when they would give their guidance, if Christians got off track, they were there to, to steer them back on the right path again. But you know what? We're a long way away from that time, and the church has gotten off track in a lot of ways because it hasn't always followed the beliefs and practices of those first Christians. And so we, we've gotten away from the original in a lot of ways, and there have been a lot of changes to the original. And a lot of them are just simply harmless cultural stylistic changes but some have been devastating by distorting what God's word teaches distorting the practices of this early church founded by Jesus and led by the apostles so what we're about at South Point is trying to get back to the original see we're not only a part of this Jesus movement called the church but we're, we're part of a restoration movement because we want to restore the the unity and authority and simplicity of the early church before all these denominations and divisions started and all the sectarian names and creeds and back before all the complex hierarchy and clergy titles showed up and just the simple stripped down structure of the New Testament church. So this is a restoration movement, but it's also a missionary movement because the church isn't a place or a philosophy. It's the people of Jesus on mission taking his message wherever we go. And that's why the church really is the hope of the world because we carry with us the only thing, the one thing that the world needs. Every single person needs this message of salvation that Jesus taught and that he accomplished through giving his life for the sins of the world. So whether you realize it or not, you're one of two things. You're either a mission field or you're a missionary. Either you're somebody who needs to hear the good news of Jesus or you're somebody who needs to take the good news of Jesus with you. And it doesn't matter what else you do for a living. You already have a divine job description God's given you to be a disciple, to be a, a, a follower, a learner, an imitator of Jesus, and to be an apostle, somebody who is sent out. Now listen, you're not one of the capital D disciples. You're not one of the original 12. You're not one of the 
12 apostles with that divine authority and miraculous power, but we are disciples who are sent out to represent Jesus and make disciples. So let's get back to that. The book of Acts opens with Jesus appearing to those disciples over a period of 40 days. He calls them together and uh, urges them to, uh, challenges them, commissions them to go out and make disciples. But wait here in Jerusalem first until you receive the power of the Spirit on you. He had already told them about that prior to his crucifixion. In John 16, he said, it's good for you that I'm going to weigh I'm going away because unless I go away, this counselor, that's another name for the Holy Spirit, well, he, he won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So see, it's a good thing that Jesus left. You like to hang out with Jesus, right? Wouldn't it be cool? To, but, but no, not really, because Jesus was limited by a physical body. He can only be with the disciples. But through the Spirit, who is unlimited, he can be not just with, but within you. Jesus could only be in one place at one time with a certain amount of people. You know, you'd really be vying for his attention through that physical body. But because of the spirit in you, he's able to be with you personally everywhere at all times, everywhere you go. All right. So it's a good thing. And we're going to see the arrival of the spirit next week in Acts chapter two, as Jesus makes good on his promise to baptize them, to immerse them in his presence and his power. So those are the marching orders we've been given as a church. Jesus said, look, I've my mission, I came to seek and save the lost. Now it's up to you. You go out, you spread the message, you share the good news, you be my witnesses. You can do that. You can be a witness. You know what a witness is, right? You witness in courtroom, testifies to what they know. That's it. Now, sometimes they'll call in an expert witness who has some special knowledge and insight. But anybody can be a witness. So you don't have to be an expert Bible scholar or a gifted speaker to witness for Christ. All you got to do is experience salvation and then tell people what you do know, who Jesus is and what he's done for you, how he's changed your life. And so Jesus lays this out for us in geographical terms there in Acts 1.8. He says, look, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses, empowered to be witnesses in Jerusalem right here and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the idea is start right where you are at home, your backyard, and then you're going to go out to the other regions of Israel, Judea and Samaria, and then you're going to keep on going to the very ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what we're called to do. And that's our big idea is to witness for Christ where you are and wherever you go. Witness for him right where you are and wherever you go. Because look, those early apostles, they, they didn't quite get this concept yet about what the kingdom of God was. They still envisioned a Jewish kingdom where all of the world would travel to Jerusalem and bow down before the throne of their new Jewish king, Jesus. And it's just the opposite. Jesus says, don't wait for the world to come to you. You go to the world, you leave Jerusalem and you go take my message to everyone. And wherever people bow down to me as Lord, that's where my kingdom is. My kingdom is spiritual. It's not of this world. It's not a race or a place. It's a transnational, transethnic, transcultural kingdom. My church is the new Israel. We are the kingdom of God on earth. But you know what? There's still a kingdom to come. The kingdom isn't completely fulfilled yet. It will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. The kingdom had come. And so that's where, why Jesus, he's standing on the hillside, Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem. Disciples gathered around him. And what happened? He starts, 
He floats upward. He ascends up into heaven to be exalted at the right hand of the Father. And I got to thinking, like, had anybody ever on earth through all of history up to that point ever seen anything float up? I mean, other than, like, smoke, I mean, had they seen anything leave the earth? I mean, today you see it all the time, right? Just even a helium balloon. You see stuff going up. They'd never seen anything like that before. There he goes. And you're thinking... What, what, what's going on here? Am I, am I supposed to go with you? You know, am, am, am I going to hold on? You know, don't let me float away. They don't know. But that's when the angel shows up and says, relax, relax. The same Jesus you saw go up with the clouds, he's going to come back in the same way on the clouds. But he's not going to be floating down on some lonely Judean hillside. When he comes back, he is going to explode through the heavenly realms and enter this physical cosmos and every eye will see him as he descends in glory with all the angels of heaven and riding across the globe, taking a few victory laps, and that could happen today. We don't know. But everybody's going to know when it happens, and if we're still alive, when he returns, and could be, could be right now, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to start floating up. <laughs> we're going to start taking off. We're going to send to meet him in the air so that he can create the new heavens and the new earth. And we touch that back down where he'll reign from the new Jerusalem forever over this eternal kingdom. But until that happens, we got stuff to do. We got a mission to fulfill. We got the gospel to spread. We got eternal life to share. And we start right where we are right in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our network of relationships to the people that know you and like you and trust you because guess what? You're going to be the very best witness to those people. Especially if they've seen the difference Jesus makes in your life. They're going to be more open to that good news. But then again, maybe not because the flip side is Jesus said a prophet isn't accepted in his own hometown. Remember, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him at first. But that's okay. You keep on being patient and persistent. You keep praying for your family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and silently witnessing through your lifestyle so that at the appropriate time, you have an opportunity to share your faith and invite them to church. So your Jerusalem is right here. Maybe your, your city, our Judea would be downriver. We're here to win downriver to Christ. But then we keep going into Samaria, which was a big deal. Because remember, those first Christians were Jewish by culture. Samaria was part of Israel, but it was very different culturally. It was, it was very religiously and ethnically mixed. And so that was a big step to go in a cross-cultural experience to people who are a little bit different. And the same thing happens for us today. There are people who are nearby us, but may be culturally different. I mean, it might be for you going into Detroit or going into Mexican town or going into Dearborn with, with so many Muslims. And in fact, for those of you who serve every year at Detroit Patton Park Bless Fest, you have all those cultures come together in one place at one time. And that's our Samaria, okay? But the disciples also are to go to the ends of the earth get this, to all the non-Jewish Gentile people. Whoa, that, that is a huge deal because up until then, the Jews weren't supposed to mix with Gentile peoples at all. And Jesus says, no, you take it to them too. And they didn't get that because they, they didn't do it at first. It took them a few years to figure out we're supposed to go to the Gentiles. They, they don't do that until Acts chapter 10 and God has to do a miracle to convince them to go. So though it's not recorded in the Bible, we do know that the disciples spread out over the world. I mean, here in Acts chapter 1 is the last time we ever see any of these, a lot of these disciples, we never hear their name again. That's it. But tradition tells us that they went. 
that we know Peter went to Rome. Thomas, well, he went to India. Um, Simon, he went to what is now Britain. Bartholomew went to Persia. Matthias went to Ethiopia. Paul wanted to go to Spain. All of the disciples went somewhere, and all of them, except for John, died violently at the hand of persecutors. They fulfilled what the word witness literally means because it comes from a Greek word. Witness is martus. And you hear what English word we get from that, martus? Martyr. Yeah, they'd go out and they'd witness and they'd get killed for it. And I wonder if we would be willing to be a witness for Jesus if it really cost us like that. See, many today think missions is a horrific idea, that it's rude and arrogant and offensive to try and convert somebody to your faith, to get them to leave their faith or whatever they believe to, to adopt your faith. I mean, it's even worse if you insert yourself into another culture and impose your religion uh, on, on them like you're some sort of imperialist colonialist saying that, that my way is better than your way. How, how dare you do that? And with Christians, you just need to leave people alone and keep your faith to yourself. And I know that's the way a lot of people think because we saw it last November. Did you see this new story about the young missionary man uh, in his late 20s who uh, went to this remote uh, North Sentinel Island off the coast of India to share Jesus with the tribesmen and they killed him for it. And much of the world celebrated his death, that he deserved it because he was just another crazed, invading zealot missionary who shouldn't have been there anyway. He got what he deserved. That's the way much of the world thinks about missionaries. But I tell you what, to me, he's another in the long line of martyrs. There's a backlash against missions today, even among many Christians. And so disheartening to see this news story that came out this week about a poll showing that half, half of American millennial Christians believe that it's wrong to evangelize. You hear that? Half believe it's wrong to share your faith with somebody else in order to get them to share your faith, to, to adopt your faith. Because look, that's, we shouldn't be doing that because you shouldn't you shouldn't criticize anybody else's beliefs. I mean, you do you and I'll do me and we're all good. And it's just so sad that in this, it's not just millennials either. It's, it's a lot of Christians who think in this age of pluralism and diversity and a misguided notion of what tolerance is, it's just a profound misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what the gospel says. Because look, we believe the very best thing you can do for somebody is to share the good news of salvation with them because we want them to go to heaven too. I mean, if we really have the best news in the world, how can we not share it? Christianity by its very nature is a missionary faith because we don't believe it's just one option that people can choose as a path to heaven because Jesus said there's only one way to heaven and it's through him and that's what compels us to be missionaries to our family and our neighborhoods and our nation and the world. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. And if he said that, if that's true, then that leaves us no option. We've got to share our faith because we believe everybody needs Jesus. Now, some of you do that. You witness for Christ. Some of you go overseas. Some of you go on this Romania mission trip, right? But if you don't go, if you're not able to be a missionary somewhere else in the world, 
Many of you support missions through your giving. That's what we did last weekend, you know, our celebration of generosity. And we were encouraging you to give every dollar that would be given last week. None of it would go here to South Point or locally. It would all go to these great mission organizations, not only in America, but Africa and Canada and globally. And you guys really came through and stepped up and you gave even more than you gave last year. You gave over $64,500 to missions. And that's something to be celebrated. That's an awesome thing. How many people will be reached by that. And I'm, you know, I'm also excited to tell you that in two weeks, we get to talk to you about a new way that we're going to be able to give and bless our own local community that's, that's very different and unique, all right? So look, some of you, maybe you, you help get the message of Christ to other people across the world through sponsoring a child through a Christian organization like Compassion International or World, world Vision. I mean, Penny and I, we've been sponsoring a little girl in Mexico for many years. I'd encourage you to do the same thing because not only are you taking care of their material needs, getting them education, but you're getting them God's word and the message of Christ to them. Some of you may be feeling the tug, the pull of God to actually become a missionary, to go to someplace like Japan or Peru or Ukraine. You know, somewhere else in the world that needs Jesus. In fact, right now as I'm speaking, our Huron campus pastor is on his way back from India because he's there laying the groundwork for a really cool way to share the gospel in a place where it's very difficult to do that. So look, this one hope that we share, that Jesus is coming back one day. I mean, we've got a lot to do before that happens. We don't know when, but if we want to speed up his coming back, then we need to get busy getting out there and sharing the message with as many people as we can because we don't know who the very last person will be to accept Christ on this earth. That very last person may be sitting in this place right now. We don't know. All we're supposed to do is get the message out to them and not get obsessed with when Jesus is returning. Like the apostles did, you know, they're standing out on the Mount of Olives. They're going like, okay, is this it, Lord? Is this the time? You're going to restore the kingdom now? Is it soon? Come on. I mean, because, you know, we've been listening to these TV preachers and reading these books that say all these signs have to happen first. All this stuff that's going on in the Middle East uh, right now and, and uh, the temple's going to be rebuilt and the moon's turning red and the planets are aligning and they're putting microchips in hands and the lions win the Super Bowl and then the end will come, Lord. Is that it? Or is it? No, no. Don't, don't worry about any of that. You just stay busy doing what I called you to do. You get out there and you be my witnesses and get people ready for that day whenever it is. But first, wait for the power. Stay here in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so those disciples are meeting in an upper room. Might even be the same room where they shared the Last Supper. It's just a few of them right now. There's some women with them. Jesus' mother and his brothers, you know, the guys who didn't believe in him at first, but I think the resurrection kind of changed their mind. And a couple of them wrote books in the New Testament, James and Jude. So they're all hanging out in the upper room. What are they doing? While they're waiting, they're praying. Prayer plays a major role in that early church. Every chapter in the book of Acts, there's someone or some group praying and things happen. And I think that's what's lacking in so many of our lives and in our churches today. We need to make sure we prioritize prayer, especially as we gather together in our groups, if we want to recapture the prayer power of that early church. So there's just a few of them, but the number grows to 120 which includes the 11 apostles, right? I said 11 because there's not 12 anymore. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, took that money, threw it in the temple, went out and hung himself. Apparently after a few days, the rope 
frayed and, and broke and his rotting bloated corpse burst open in the ground on the field there and so the chief priest took that money and they bought that field and they called it the field of blood which is a great name for a metal band field of blood right that would be that would be a cool name uh, but and then it says he went to the place prepared for him so it appears that he went to hell and so Peter gets up and he says all right we got to do something we got to have 12 apostles the book of Psalms talks about we need to replace this guy. There's something special about the number 12, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. And in the new Israel, the church, the 12 apostles. So who's it going to be? Because to be an apostle, you have to have been with Jesus from the beginning through his ascension and witnessed everything so that you could be a witness. Okay, we only got two guys. Two guys. All right, we got to choose one. Wait a minute. You, you say 12 apostles. What about Paul? Isn't Paul like the 12th? No, Paul's number 13. Well, why, why 13? Well, because Paul becomes a special case. Jesus sets him aside specially to be the apostle to the Gentiles so that the 12 apostles could be the apostles to the 12 tribes of Israel, to the Jewish people. All right, so just two guys, and we're going to let God choose. Okay. And so the lot falls to Matthias. Yeah, Matthias, new apostle. Which, you know, you got to wonder how bummed out the other guy was. Like, oh, man. Like... You know that guy, right? You remember him? Um, yeah, no, nobody remembers that guy. But then I got to wonder with Matthias too, like he's replacing Judas Iscariot. So it's not like people looked at him with the stink eye, like, oh man, that's, the, that's Judas replacement guy. You know, bad luck, get away. We don't hear much about him anymore. We don't really hear much about any of the apostles anymore other than just a few, Peter, Paul, John. Because the emphasis isn't on those apostles, it's on the mission, it's on the spirit. And the truth is we're all apostles, small a, not capital A apostles, but we're small a because we've been sent out to be his witnesses. We're, we're part of this epic cosmic story of redemption, God's rescue mission of humanity. And he sends us out to lead people to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who overcame sin, death, and the devil. And it began with 120 people which is about how many people South Point started with. I got, got to thinking back when Penny and I started it, we gathered just a few volunteers, and after a few weeks, we ended up with just a little bit over 100 people. But look over the years how it's grown, how God has blessed. We have people meeting in three locations, watching online, and that's a good thing to grow. Because you know, with 120, they had to outgrow that upper room. There wasn't space for 120 people. But you know there had to be some who were saying, but we like our small upper room church. It's so cozy and comfortable and we know everybody. We don't want to grow. No, no, no. That's, that's not the mission of the church, to stay small and know everybody. It's to reach the world. And that means that's going to grow and you're going to outgrow your small little upper rooms. And not everybody's going to know everybody. And that's a good thing because that means we're accomplishing the mission. Look, we can never allow ourselves to become this little inward-focused holy huddle. And it's good. We still need to have small rooms. We need to have groups where we meet in homes and other places where we, we do know everybody. But it's even better that we get together with a bunch of people we don't even know because that means we're reaching the world. And we gather together like those early Christians did. But not just to gather. The point, the end goal isn't to gather. It's so that we can go out and be the church, to be his witnesses, because the church isn't a meeting. It's a mission. And so we gather together so that we can be empowered by the Spirit through the preaching and the praise and the communion so that we can go back out into the world for another week of being his witnesses. Are you somebody right now that needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Maybe you, you didn't know this before. Didn't, you didn't know that God loved you so much he gave his son for you. Jesus came to this world on a mission to save your soul, to rescue you from hell, to forgive you of your sins. That's why he died. That's why he rose. 
And maybe you need to welcome him into your life for the very first time. And you're going to be able to do that in a few moments. And don't worry about what other people think. Don't be afraid or nervous about making a decision for Christ. You do what you know you need to do, what God would have you to do. Because, look, you're either a mission field or you're a missionary. And if you're already a Christian, that means who do you need to be sharing your faith with? Who do you need to be inviting to come here next week to experience Acts chapter 2 when the gospel is proclaimed for the first time, this powerful message that results in 3,000 people being baptized into Christ? Jesus commissions you to go. How can they know unless you go? Be a witness where you are and wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that the world would come to know Jesus as Lord and that you would use us to do that. We know, Lord, one day believers from around the world, every tribe, nation, language are going to be gathered around your throne together. And it's because of people that you send out into your harvest fields to bring them in. God, we want to take as many people to heaven as we can. So help us to win downriver to Christ, to not be nervous and afraid and ashamed, to be your witnesses, that you would, you would empower us to witness with our works, with our words. Lord, you, I keep praying that you would raise up more and more ministers and missionaries and evangelists right out of this very church. And for any right here, right now, God, that need to be forgiven, that need to be saved, would you deliver them from the power of sin and the penalty of hell that you'd open their hearts to respond to your invitation to follow Jesus. In whose name we pray it, amen.